0: Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately. Heaps of film recommendations coming your way as I reveal my favourite films of 2021 and as we re-examine a classic British film on its 10th anniversary. It is quite extraordinary to watch what, what's
1: happening to everyone since then. So it's, it's a bit of a, a certain point in, in film history, it is.
0: Yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is 10 years old. Somehow feels even older than that. Such a classic. What a film, what a cast. From Gary Oldman to Tom Hardy and Kathy Burke and its director Thomas Alfredson and its writer Peter Strawn joined me to look back at how they made it and some of the films that influenced their careers. And as well as looking at the films that made my year, I'll of course be telling you if I've seen any good films lately. There are three to catch up with, starting with Spider-Man, No Way Home. Went to see that with the boys at the cinema. Uh, it's had a record-breaking run, right, of all this you know, 31 million or whatever it was. But there was no one, no one in the cinema when we went, really. Just us and a couple of others, but it was great. Uh, really good fun, very smart and self-referential. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that all three of the actors that have played Spider-Man since it rebooted, the Sam Raimi one, uh, turn up in this which is great. Uh, and you also get some of his greatest adversaries. So, you know, some of the greatest hits of Spider-Man. quite enjoyed it. I always liked Spidey the best anyway. my favourite superhero. Uh, partly because you get a lot of New York in it. And I like this one because it was, it was a Spider-Man movie. You know, it was in the Spider-Verse rather than the Marvel Cinematic Comic Universe, whatever it's called, the MCU. Although there is Doctor Strange in it, of course. He does show up. Benedict Cumberbatch and Wong helping out with portals and stuff like that. Good stuff two films coming out hope uh, in theaters boxing day there is the palm door in a titan from france which is uh, is quite a bit that film I, I don't it's something i don't know what it is really <laughs> but it's definitely bold and it's definitely violent and it's definitely garish it's got an amazing performance from agathe roussel uh, who was on my can podcast. Uh, she is the uh well, you might have heard about this film. She's a sort of car-shagging serial killer.
2: My name is Agathe Roussel and I have the lead part in the latest Julia Ducourneau's movie. I got cast by the casting director on Instagram. I've been modelling for a while so and playing in short movies and stuff, so I had like a few, like, I had material uh, for them to see that I was probably like, androgynous enough for them, for the movie. I mean, I've never put in consideration uh, the way people are, were going to react to anything. I was just doing my job. And I mean, the way people feel about feel about what I did is, I mean, in a way, not really my problem. You know what I mean? Like, I just did my job the way my director wanted me to work. And then if, you know, people are shocked, I mean, so be it. I mean, it's good to be shocked. It's like being shaken up. It's good. It's good.
0: The victory at Cannes was definitely a shock. But it was a good one. And it, it's definitely helped the film get a lot of attention and acclaim, even though I wouldn't call it a masterpiece at all. And I watched quite a lot of it from between my fingers. But I... It is something, you know, it's a very much a genre piece. I think I'm really pleased that that we sort of broke the mould and that you know, it did what it did at Canon, you know, gave a, a female filmmaker the Palm d'Or. Uh, it's definitely cool. It's very distinctive. I like its aesthetic. Uh, and it's got French actor Vincent Landon in it, as you've never seen him before, if you've ever seen him before. A decent little New York movie is here. It's called The Humans and it's set in a crumbling apartment as a family help a daughter move into the city with her boyfriend who makes everyone dinner. It's based on a play uh, of the same name and it's got fine performances from Richard Jenkins Amy Schumer Beanie Feldstein as sisters and particularly as the mother from Jane Houdershell who is basically reprising the part that won her a Tony on Broadway and it, it seems to be the reason for for making this, this film look I, I, I did like it it's very downbeat it's a little bit miserable as well but there are shards of bitter humour that cut through right Let's turn back 10 years and celebrate Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Freshly out to celebrate in a UHD Blu-ray, complete with loads of extras, including an interview with me on there. There are also thoughts from Mark Kermode and Matthew Sweet. I was always a big fan of this film. Uh, I loved the underworld, the sort of grey universe it creates and the old London atmosphere and the amazing cast, many of whom have gone on to become like the biggest stars on the planet since making uh, Tinker Taylor. There's Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hardy, Stephen Graham, Mark Strong, Colin Firth, you know, and Gary Oldman went on to win an Oscar as well. So I spoke to Swedish director Thomas Alfredson and screenwriter Peter Strawn to find out how they made it and how they got such an amazing cast together.
1: There was a parade of of lists of different names, and it felt like without without mentioning someone in particular. But the, the most obvious choice would be, you know, some very traditional British actor doing this. And I I remember I wanted some, you know, a, a hint of uh, Sid Vicious in it. So uh, w- when Gary's name came up, that that felt. Uh, like a, a fantastic idea. It was not the, the most obvious. And I, 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 I'm not sure if I'm right, but there was a, he hadn't made something very uh, interesting the, the, the years close to this, uh, as I recall. I, uh, so, so he had been a bit quiet and that, that was also a quality and he doesn't really look like what he's described as and and it was also like a a big leap away from Alec Guinness because that's such a a emblematic actor and face and and associated with this particular part so so that also felt right to 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 find a, a different shape uh, on him. And, and Gary's also got the, the very special, he's uh, a bit uh, chameleon-like uh, as an actor. He, he, he has the ability to transform into many different shapes and forms. Uh, it's, it's also a, a bit complicated to find the right actor for a part that's not supposed to be charismatic and you you do need a charismatic actor for the part but he's supposed to play not so charismatic so it's a bit of a challenge Mm. um but uh, it, it was spot on i'm retired oliver you fired me the thing is some time ago before control died he came to me with a similar suggestion that there is a mole he, he never mentioned his suspicions to you? No. Oh, I just thought it was just you were his man, so to speak. What did you say to him? Well, I'm afraid I thought his paranoia had rather got the better of him he's going to put his whole house down. That bloody mess in Budapest. Damn it, George. It's your generation, your legacy. Thought if there's any truth in this, then he'd want to. Uh... I, I, I'm I'm really really uh, happy he, he did this part. There's so much casting these days that that's so lazy and so uh, predictable. Uh, it it's um, it, it's very boring to to watch, and it it must also be very boring for for certain actors also to always be it cast in, into very expected shapes and forms but yeah. uh, uh, he, he, he turned out to be the
0: the perfect did you yeah. know did you know you were writing for him peter at a certain point i think we would
3: have done i think he would have been cast but probably quite late on in the writing process um i mean what i think was really interesting and it's, it's sort of true about thomas as well is that it, the class thing you know with, with with gary not being of the class and, and Thomas being an outsider that slightly sort of outsider inside attention that I think was really useful for the film. Yeah I think because that's... you can see more clearly when you're outside
0: Yeah it makes it and it makes it more appealing and enduring I think because you still have the the, the establishment figures in yeah. there um, yeah. and it, I, it I, read, I think I interviewed at the time Thomas and we we talked about you know why why you'd come from let, let the right one in to, to to this and actually watching this again, it it makes much more sense now. the 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 two worlds are these sort of vampiric, twilight, subterranean, <laughs> dark worlds mm-hmm. that you have to you know know the right words to enter into. The, the, the similarities seem seem even seem much more obvious now than they did to me then. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe you're right. It's it's hard to tell why 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 you're attracted to certain stories. I, I usually uh, get attracted to to um to stories and, and to projects that I react physically to, because film is a, a very emotional medium. And uh, if you start getting, you know, uh, sweaty or, or, or uh, laughing or, uh, yeah, physical reactions is, is, is a good thing. And if you start thinking too much, it's probably not not the right project. But uh... I
3: remember you maybe you said earlier, Thomas, that you sort of the emotional connection for you was that you, you felt that these were lonely men, you know. And so yeah. the film is about loneliness. Uh, yeah, and I guess there's a crossover there from Let the White right One In as well. But it's yeah. true, isn't it? You know, Smiley's
0: an outsider, really, a lonely man. That all of them really—they're all you know, really lonely, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah. Only Kathy—only yeah. Kathy Burke can look after them, her yeah. boys. Yes, the, the lovely boys. Mm. Yeah,
1: and her weird house uh, populated with young people.
0: Um, I loved that house. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing, the, doing the sort of some naked plays on the lawn. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That took me back. <laughs> I don't know to when, but it took me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the first film you ever saw at the cinema, Thomas Alfredson?
1: I am not sure, but I th- the, the earliest memory I have is... Uh, the the dictator uh, uh with charlie chaplin the great dictator mm. yeah
0: where did you see that
1: uh, in stockholm in a you know uh, off, afternoon matinee uh with with uh, with my dad uh who wanted to persuade persuade me uh, into loving chaplin
0: oh good i thought and, you were going to say hitler for a second which is better, <laughs> much better <laughs> yeah. it's a combination <laughs> <laughs> Did it work the Chaplin I mean it it did uh I I
1: think as many many kids react my 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 own kids they also react like this uh, uh they they get very sad watching Chaplin it's uh, it's uh, it's not as funny as grown-ups want want children to think He does uh, still still communicate I I have a an eight-year-old girl, uh, I showed Chaplin to her and, and, and she reacted very strongly on, on, on his films, but, uh, but uh, more, she felt that it was sad and sentimental.
2: I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost.
0: What about yeah. you, Peter? What was the first film you ever saw? I can't really remember. I mean, it would
3: have been a Disney, probably. Hmm. Uh, one of the... Not, not, I'm too young for the sort of golden age. Actually, I do have a memory of seeing Dumbo at the cinema, so I guess it must have been a re-release or, or something like that. Which one? Dumbo. Dumbo the think? elephant. Incredibly sad, Dumbo.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, they were all quite incredibly sad, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it would have been it would have been some kind of Disney.
0: But What was the film that made you want to be a scriptwriter? I remember. I, I don't know if I
3: thought I want to be a scriptwriter because I think actually that was probably the Coen Brothers later on. But I remember when I was still quite young, sort of just in my early teens, maybe seeing one through the cuckoo's nest. And, I, and I, it was probably the first sort of American 70s movie I've seen. And that suddenly cracked everything open in terms of thinking, you know, because up until then, I've basically been brought up on, you know, war films, westerns and musicals. And suddenly there was this was a very, very different kind of cinema. And I found that really exciting.
0: Cheswick, you're voluntary.
1: Mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: Scanlon. Really, for Christ's sake, you must be committed, right? No, 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 no. Mom, mom. I mean, You're just a young kid. What are you doing here? You ought to be out in a convertible while bird-dogging and chicks and banging beaver. What are you doing here, for Christ's sake? It's so funny about that? <clears throat> well... <clears throat> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out? What do you think you are, for Christ's sake? Crazy or something? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not. You're not. You're no crazier than the average asshole out walking around on the streets, and that's it. Jesus Christ! I can't even believe it. Thomas, you've got a. Have you got a film poster on your wall there? Is that a film poster behind you?
1: This is a poster for my. My father was a, a, a performer and. A, 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 this, this is the original poster for his first production ever in 1961.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. It's called Green Dog. Green, Yes, I can see it. Greener Hund. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Green Dog. Yeah. So do you have a film Green. poster? Did you have a film poster on your wall when you were growing up?
1: Yes. I I did work a couple of summers on, uh, on a, a, a big film company and found like 300 posters that were uh, thrown away uh, uh that i nicked and so there was a lot of film posters during a certain period i think between i was 12 something up till i was 20 i i watched uh, literally everything that was on cinema so so that was my my university uh the cinema and uh, i i really uh, collected every single uh premiere and or every opening uh, even the the bad ones uh, which is also interesting to watch
0: if you could go to any set peter or any maybe writer's room for you of any great film being made anywhere <clears throat> where would you drop into oh lord
3: well i've, I've got a, a massive soft spot for howard and Maud, so that would be a nice set to visit i think wouldn't it
0: yeah. yeah, to see that. I'd like to go to the casting when they said, it's going it's to play these two? <laughs> still some looking at the
3: thing. I can't believe you got that made. Because yeah. now you think, yeah, that wouldn't be easy to get made now. <laughs> More interesting times
1: then.
0: Yeah, what about you, Thomas? Where would you go? Which, which film set would you visit? I
1: suppose uh, the film set uh, on Hard Day's Night, Hard Day's Night, Richard Lester.
0: Yeah, you can come to London yeah. and see that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. You know, if you went to a certain scene of that, you would see my mother. She's uh, an extra in the scene where they, they come out of the train in Paddington Station and they go from one train to the other and all the teenage girls scream and run after them. Oh! One of them is my mum. She's
1: screaming teenage girl? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's a good
1: that remember Yeah. I remember my, my, my dad made a film where Wilfrid Bramble had a, a small part. So I got to meet him and... Uh, one morning he he was sleeping in a uh, in our house and i went to wake him up and uh, i knocked on his door uh, and he didn't wake up so I, I went into the room and and pushed him to 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 wake up and he put in his teeth in and uh, drank like a, a big glass of gin before before he he stood up,
0: <laughs> that's what you want Wilfred Bramble to do. That's exactly, <laughs> brilliant. Well, fantastic memories, uh, gentlemen. Yeah. Lovely, to, lovely to share them with you. Would really want really classic film. You made you made a classic film. I think you made a classic British film, which I think is really hard to. You can't set out to make one. Although I'm sure that no. Tim and Eric would have wanted it, you to. It's do. It's
1: quite hard to know to know what's going to be classic in in literature literature or film or or anything it's it's something uh, totally I- impossible to foresee but uh, uh, ho- hopefully you're right it's uh I- i'm very i'm very proud of it and and uh and it it, it was a great co- collaboration between a lot of very talented people involved so uh yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm very grateful to her have had that opportunity
0: yeah well, we're very grateful that you that you came and did it and I think it's one of the you as you you can't tell a classic but it's shot on film I'm, I'm assuming it would have been shot on digital yeah. now so it still looks it has that that moment of being old-fashioned because it's set in the 70s and Britain yeah. in the 70s looked like Britain in the 50s anyway and looked probably a bit mm. like Sweden did in the 50s so it has yeah, a yeah. timeless quality to it it's mm. like of the past and yet it still feels like uh, you know, now that it feels even further away, so the classic element kind of rubs over time. It has this sort of pattern yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. It was
1: very nice to to see it again. I I I didn't. Uh... I didn't have to, to cover up afterwards and run away.
0: <laughs>
1: the terrible frozen smile. <laughs> <thing sometimes.
0: laughs> and everyone's so saying, well good. done, well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. Really lovely to, to catch up with you after all this time. It was a, a big landmark film for me as well, that one, because um, Peter, that Q&A we did with Gary at that uh, Hampstead, yeah. at I'm writing a book at the moment, and uh, i sort of reminding myself that my, my father's shop was opposite that. That cinema in Belsize. Oh really? Park. Oh uh, uh, yeah, Thomas, you were there that night. And uh, as a kid, I, they used to put the cinema reviews. You know, Alex Walker and uh, Philip French. Yeah. They put them in on on the front of those cinemas, the art house cinemas. So you'd read the reviews, and I remember as a kid reading those reviews, thinking, God, I want my reviews up there one day. And right. then of course, one day I got them up there, but also then I got a, a whole poster with, you know, me hosting you guys at that cinema. So oh, it, is. it was a huge, yeah. huge memory for me, actually. I'd mm. forgotten about until until this came yeah. along. So yeah. so thank you for that one.
1: <laughs> thank you, Jason. Very nice speaking to you, you too. again. Thank you very much, Jason. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. See you soon.
0: Tinker Tail at Soldier Spy, well worth another watch. It's so rich in details and really skillfully constructed. Tinker Tailor was my film of the year, 2011, actually. But which films have made the list of my favourites from 2021? Uh, A few bubbling unders, which sort of honourable mentions too. Uh, A Quiet Place 2, I like that one. Black Widow, I liked. I thought that was you know an interesting uh, sort of Marvel film, standalone. Uh, Scarlett Johansson very good. Uh, Florence Pugh stealing the show, fabulous in that. Knight uh, of the Kings, it was a great African uh, movie set in a Congolese jail. Uh, I'd never seen anything like this film. A uh, great, I programmed it at my uh, festival, the Green Man Festival, and um, it, you know, it's set under a full moon. And when when I played it, a full moon was above our tent. You know, it was kind of don't know how I managed to get that special effect going great film Night of the Kings Uh, Prano Bailey Bond's Censor was uh, one I was a bit late catching up with Uh, I really enjoyed that uh, about a a film censor uh, looking at video nasties in the 80s and getting caught up in that world Um, Titan is definitely on the list it's not one of my films of the year but it it's a film that we've been talking about all year. It's had a big influence this year. You know, Julia de Cornell winning at Cannes. Uh, you had Audrey Diwan winning at Venice and you had Chloe Zhao winning at the Oscars. So in terms of female filmmaking, this year has been very key in terms of the awards ceilings that have been uh, been smashed. So that's Titan. I think very much that that ceiling has been smashed by the uh, politics and activism of Céline Sciamma, whose film Petite Maman, is probably you know it's probably my 11th film i don't know why it's not on my top 10 i liked it very very much it's just a, such a lovely little film um but it's in its own quiet way you know it should be on should be on those lists it's really good uh pirates reggie yates's film about three mates driving around in a yellow peugeot 205 trying to get into a nightclub on millennium eve that was good uh king richard i liked a lot with um uh, older will smith uh, the rescue, the um, the documentary about the the little boys who were rescued, the football team in the cave in Thailand, rescued by these divers. What a very well put together documentary that is the rescue, and uh, sisters with transistors. Shout out to that Lisa Rovin's. Uh, uh, sort of ode to the female pioneers of electronic music, like Delia Derbyshire and the BBC, uh, covered doing the Dr. Heath, Do- Doctor Who theme, but so many more, uh, like uh, Suzanne Siani many, many more. Really really nicely done and strange music in that film. Some, 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 some fantastic figures uh, coming out in Sisters with Transistors. What a lovely film. My highlight was probably interviewing Arsene Wenger, Arsenal manager, for his documentary arsene wenger invincible with uh lots of my heroes in the audience uh for the q a you know ian wright was in there Lee dixon um just a really you know good night uh was had an interview in arsene was was pretty cool actually uh, and get to hang out with him so that's a highlight of the year um okay what are my top 10 films of the year here we go at 10 no time to die the bond film whatever you think of the Bond film, it was a film of the year. It was the film that we, we talked about all year long. You know, it was the film that was pulled from cinemas, then it was going to come back and save cinemas, then it wasn't going to be in the cinemas again. So it, it rode the pandemic and then ended up becoming like the third highest grossing British film ever or something like that. So it, it did really well. I really like Daniel Craig in it. I think he does a really good job in it. Do I like the film? I don't think it's a great one. I think it should have been a great one because of what they did at the ending of it, which we know, right? I'm gonna, if you are listening to this show, James Bond is dead. <laughs> that's that's the story. That should be front page news, right? And I don't know how, we, it's not what everyone's talking about. It's, it's the story of the year in film. James Bond bloody dies. And there we were at the premiere going, what is dead? We, and we couldn't say it. I said, but that should be the story. You know, you really wanna ring up a news desk and go, do you know what, James Bond's dead. It's like, that's the biggest news that there is. James Bond can't die. It's the point of Bond films. It's the point of Bond. He always gets away with it and saves the world. He doesn't die. So if you're going to have him die, I think you need to make a really big thing of it and we should be in pieces, in bits. And I wasn't really. I wasn't. So I think they botched that. Having done such a major gesture in the history of cinema didn't seem to be major enough for me when it happened. And also the villain. I didn't, Rami Malek's not a very good villain there you go but still it was a film of the year no time to die number nine the father anthony hopkins won the oscar for his performance in that film of course he did people still thought it was going to be um you know the man we lost chadwick boseman uh but if you you know if you watch the father it's got to be anthony hopkins he's brilliant in it uh, i like the father a lot I thought it was really really moving uh, but also ah, very, very touching and very lovely um at eight, Last Night in Soho. Here's Edgar Wright talking about it. I like this film a lot. I thought he did a really, really fine job with this. Uh, the story of two women in different eras, but in the same psychogeographical space of Soho. It's a film, really good, great soundtrack too. Most of the songs are from the mid-60s. There's a couple of later ones, but something about the mid-60s where just incredible like songwriting coming out and, and singers coming out Weirdly, quite a lot of the songs are written by Bacharach and David. I think they wrote four of the songs in the movie. But, like, amazing female singers at the time. Dusty Springfield, Scylla Black, Petula Clark, Sandy Shaw. Um, So I wanted them to be represented. And also because there's a particular mid-60s brand of, like, massively emotional, like, 60s kind of, like, big ballads. Mm. And it felt like it really just nailed the tone of the movie. At number seven, Polystyrene. I am a cliche. So pleased to see this film uh, winning at the Biffers. I programmed it again at Green Man Festival. It went down really well there. The story of the X Ray Specs singer Marion, uh, told by her daughter Celeste Bell, who was on the show.
1: You know, the great thing about my mum's music is it does appeal to every generation now, obviously the original fans from the 70s and that was always going to be our core audience as well from for the film and a lot of those people they really supported us with our initial crowdfunding campaign but then at the same time there are always you know young people who are discovering x Specs, discovering polystyrene so she's she always has this constant cycle i would say of, of new listeners
0: number six it's a film that stayed with me, really haunted me, The Most Beautiful Boy in the World, which um is about Bjorn Anderson, who was the little boy that Visconti cast as the most beautiful boy in the world in his adaptation of Death in Venice. So it's the one that became the object of affection for Dirk Bogard in that film. So it's a documentary about what happened to this boy, beautiful boy, who was cast in this film and labelled the most beautiful boy in the world by Visconti and became an art house poster boy. And also an object of desire for a lot of people. Um, And it's about what happens to you when when you're objectified like that. Very interesting. Very beautifully done. Made by Swedish filmmaking pair, Christina Lindström and Christian Petri. I spoke to them.
3: For us, our generation, he's like an icon. You know, everyone knows about him. But I think for younger audience, uh, not so much. But uh, they still, you know, he's been around in a in TV series and also now yeah. in Midsummer and uh, it, people know about him. Yes, and yeah. as you say, he's a very distinct he... look. So people, you know, when they see and him he's on the a, he is
1: not only the look, but when he enters a room, yeah, he's, I, he yeah. has a very strong presence.
0: Yeah, what I love about the most beautiful boy in the world is the way that it. It uses Venice uh, as well as part of, you know, taking him there in front of the Hotel des Bains, which still haunts the festival every year because it's still there, like the hotel where it was all set... Is, is a ghost it's in itself now it's not open you know, and it hasn't been re- revived great hotel but uh, and it used to be a sort of you know, cornerstone of the Venice Film Festival and it, it, the festival hasn't been the same since it's lost the Hotel Duba, you know? has to be said but the fact that it's there and not been redeveloped and you know it's going to be luxury flats but I don't know what they're going to do with it really now it's crumbling uh, and you know that is in itself uh, another layer that yeah, that haunts the most beautiful boy in the world. My number five is Italy again. The truffle hunters. What a wonderful documentary! Beautiful documentary. This is about the. Uh the hunters in the the woods of Alba who use their dogs to to get the truffles and then the commodity of truffles how they sell truffles how they deal in truffles this whole sort of eco- economic universe that surrounds the truffle very subtly done uh, done with tableau brilliantly told uh, by uh, the filmmakers and uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to them as well and they gave me a truffle they sent me a truffle it was very nice shave it put it in the uh, the spaghetti, the sort of pasta, thick egg pasta. Oh, yeah, it was quite nice, that. That was a treat.
1: We were asking these uh, people in the town saying, well, you know, how do people buy these these truffles? And nobody would tell us. And then one person finally told us, it took six months to get out of them. said, look, you have to go to this town and you have to go at three o'clock in the morning. You have to go in the front of this cafe. It'll look like it's closed. It looked like nothing's happening, but you'll see this world of the exchange of the truffles, which which seemed like a drug deal. So we went to the town that day. Somebody had to be walking in to the building that the person told us to stand in front of. We said, is there something happens here at three in the morning? Do you see? I said, look, I've in my town. Tab- nothing happens in the street,
0: nothing. So we went back to the truffle and that, and he said, go tomorrow at three in the morning. And sure enough, we got there. And
2: it was <laughs>
0: incredible. At number four, very late to the list. I told you about it a couple of shows ago. The Invisible Life of Eurydice Guzmao. I absolutely loved it. This film had me in buckets, weeping. The only film this year to have me completely in tears. I, I thought it was tremendous. Um, I, I describe it as uh, in the mood for love, but with sisters. So there's a tale of unrequited love, but shot beautifully shot by the cinematographer Hélène Louvard in Rio. Uh, directed by Karim news I think it is... Exquisite, actually. It's a, it's a melodrama for sure. Uh, and it's got a sort of epic sweep to it. But it's, uh, uh, I just thought, terrific. Great performances, looked fantastic, just to be in Rio. Uh, and and yeah, this aching kind of lie that sort of ruins the life of, of, of two women. Or oh, does it ruin it? Does it ruin their life? Yes, it does. But you know, still a life. Interesting. I thought it was terrific. The Invisible Life of Eurydice Guzmao. I wish I'd seen it before uh, so I could have told you about it earlier in the year. But straight in at number four. Wow. Number three is The Hand of God. I did love this. I really, really enjoyed this one. People are falling in love with it. And Netflix is one that people have... the few people we've seen around Christmas um, have said, yeah, great. We love... Uh, we love uh, we saw it on Netflix and we love The Hand of God you know it's got everything in it for me you know it's got uh, Italy it's got (laughs) uh, football Diego Maradona it's got Paolo Sorrentino directing it's got food it's got eccentric characters it's, it's got Naples well I'm not a big fan of Naples I have to say we got married uh, in uh, Sorrento. So we did go to Naples quite a lot and I've never really got on with it. I have to say, I know it looks great in this film, but I, I've always found it a sort of dodgy sort of <laughs> side alley sort of city. Didn't really find them very welcoming. I felt sort of don't like walking at night. I Did buy a nice cafetiere thing, you know, stovetop in in a shop in Naples and I still use that to this day. So I've got, that's a very fond memory of Naples and I love getting married and going to the Amalfi Coast. Amazing. And the Aeolian Islands, where we went on our honeymoon, amazing, and they, there's a scene in this film, The Hand of God, that's set on Stromboli, where we also went on our honeymoon, on a black volcanic island of the aeolians uh and yes and a film in itself wasn't it Rossellini uh and uh, ingrid bergman in stromboli but so there's a scene of that uh that you can actually see the hotel we stayed at in the, in the shot uh, that he is on the beach in stromboli so yeah it meant a lot to me the hand of god uh it's terrific uh, i really liked it and it's very moving as well great some of it is that the early scenes are just great i know people sort of said oh well there's lots of cleavage in it it's a f- sort of 14 15 year old boy ogling his aunt you know what, what's he gonna do he's a boy he likes football and sex we we don't change much to be honest and music uh but uh at least sorrentino had a reason to do it here you know it was it's kind of what it's the naples is a fleshly place you know that's it's about skin lots of very hot uh culture of course the neapolitans anyway hand of god good um and number two west side story i loved it I always West, I've always love always loved West Side Story but, and done well, it's one of the best things you can possibly have. And I think they did a really good job with it, Steven Spielberg and the Steven Sondheim uh, lyrics are in place and they're given and a room to shine in Tony Kushner's new script. The script was always the worst thing about West Side Story and so that's the thing that they've addressed. I, I really like the way they performed it, lots of Spanish in it without subtitles. It just feels urgent, it, it feels like it, it's, it, it's aware that it's a period piece, whereas the first time Course, the West Story was not a period piece, it was of its time. So now it looks back on the time and it's just got a bit more contextualization about the action. Uh, I thought there were some bits in it where you're just swooning. The sequence from where they go from the gym dance the mambo and everything and then tony meets maria and they, they they fall for each other uh then he goes back to hers and goes to the balcony and they he sings maria through the streets and they go down to the balcony and sing tonight and then it goes into uh back into the flat and then it goes into america it's just you're just floating through that spielberg is on very smooth form and he is a very smooth director I just was absolutely in the zone there. I was just like, this is perfect. It's all going, coming together beautifully. I've got nothing that I can just surrendering myself to this really beautiful music, really sung well. Uh, I was really digging the performances, uh, the, the look of it all. It just had it right, you know? And so when filmmaking does that, you know, half an hour passes, and just like, that was all fantastic. I loved every single minute and note and move of, of what just happened. So that's why well, it's my number two movie.
3: Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you online. The-
0: But number one, it has to be Summer of Soul, the documentary by Questlove uh, that uh, puts the black Woodstock uh, under the camera for the first time in 50 years. The Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969 was being held but the Woodstock up the road, hundred miles up, you know, upstate New York, um, that got all the attention and became the cultural touchstone and the cultural shorthand, the White Woodstock, for you know whatever the countercultural movements of America, that kind of watershed moment. But also in Harlem was this festival, which is, was filmed, but it, it had been locked in a vault for fifty years. Questle found it, and what he's done, he's not just put the concert footage up there, which is tremendous. But he's contextualised it again with some social comment, it's about politics, it's about race, uh, you learn uh, that the New York Times agreed that summer to not use the word negro in print anymore, uh, which I didn't know, Huge, hugely important. There's the uh, whitey on the moon because it was during the moon landings and there was a lot of resentment in Harlem about this. Um, that the, the the money was being spent on putting Whitey on the moon as the Girls Got Her and Song goes and then you've just got, you know starts with Stevie Wonder on the drums uh, and he's brilliant on the drums, I didn't know and and it gets better from there, Stevie's great Nina Simone's great um, Sly and the Family Stone are fantastic The Fifth Dimension, they're great, everyone's great Mahalia Jackson, there's a sort of you know, then Ray Barreto get gets on there and you know, there's this sort of Latin thing going on and there's this sort of jazz artist, Max Roach uh, and um, Abby Lincoln well, I mean, I think it's probably the best concert film ever. Uh, and it's certainly my film of the year. I thought it was absolutely beautifully done. And I love documentaries that can do that to you, can transport you to a world. I love looking at the crowd. I love the way it was done. I just like there were so many things to watch as well as listen to. It seemed to be a very important documentary that this was a story that was finally told and that that was what the, the key thing about it. So it comes out with a freshness. As if it was happening like now, because it's being unearthed now, and you you feel the newness of it, even though it's set in 1969. You'll watch it; you'll see what I mean. It just sounds fantastic. All these performers just loved it, tapping my toes all the way through, uh, and learn some stuff too. So, Quest Love, brilliant, brilliant work, mate. Uh, Summer of Soul, my film of 2021. Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened.
1: Six weekends of major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous.
3: I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music.
0: Or, I mean, it is my film of 2021, Summer of Soul. But the film that I saw, that I would say could be the film of 2021 is Mandabi the film by Usman semben but it was made in 1968 but it was reissued and 4k restored this year and it looks amazing sounds amazing the opening sequence is just amazing with the Cora playing and the guy getting his nose massaged and, and but the, the hairs of his nose being burnt out as we see the life in this African village really super super stuff I played that at a Green Man Festival as well and it went down a storm people just attracted to the colours it hopped magnificently. Really, people. Some people saw it and said, "Oh, it was the, the best film they've ever seen." You know, because it's such a new thing, African cinema. We don't see enough of it. So, really, uh, a, a, a real gem. It's a gem, all right. That Man Darby. Should I mention some worse? films you know, I'm going to tell you. I didn't like the French Dispatch. I hated that. Uh, I didn't like Annette. I hated that. Um, didn't like Silent Night. That's terrible. No, no one's seen that. I don't know why not more people know how bad Silent Night is with Kira Knightley and that cast. Lucy Punch. Oh my god! It is—it's—it is such a hideous film. I can't believe that no—not more people are talking about it. And it should—it's the biggest turkey this Christmas. If you can't get a turkey, uh, well, don't worry. Try and get Silent Night. <laughs> There's a couple of things I haven't seen. I'm going to confess to. I haven't seen yet, but we'll catch up with. That's uh, an Argentinian film called Azor, A Z O R, which I'm nice people are recommending, and I'm kind of going to say, well, if they like it, I'm going to like it. Uh, It's been compared to one of my favourite Argentinian films, Lucretia Martel's uh, La Cienega. So if it's been compared to La Cienega, I think uh, attention must be paid to Azor. And the other one I haven't seen, guilty Mission, is Drive My Car, the uh, Russo-Moguchi film, which was at Cannes. And I missed it in Cannes and I never caught up with it. But it's, in, it's winning, I think, New York Critic Circle and LA Film Critic Circle. It's got one of the most nominated uh, at our own London Critic Circle. So I will be catching up with Drive My Car. So lots of recommendations there. That great list of films that I've done you at the end there. You've got Tinker Taylor to catch up with. You've got all the ones that are out in the cinemas. And listen, It's been a difficult year, 2021, difficult for films, difficult to get to the films, difficult to to assemble, but we've still had quite a lot of stories with film. They still matter, movies, and I think 2021, they've been a lifeline at times. They've been an escape at times. Have we seen any trends in the films? No. They're films that have come out. They're films that don't reflect the lockdown. They're films that we can dive into and escape the kind of greyness and the, the, the grimness of COVID and the lockdowns and all of those things. Films still matter on helping us get through. Hope you've enjoyed that little list and I'll see you in 2022. Have a lovely Christmas and New Year.